Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Mm -hmm. This week, month, year, (laughs) our first episode of 2022. We are covering A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. Can you, like, edit in some ocean sounds, maybe? Like, crashing waves? I would love to. I will put ocean sounds interspersed with hawk cries behind you. Fantastic. Right now. Great. Thank you. So those who have been following along will note that it's been a long time since we've recorded and released an episode. Um, (laughs) But much like Ged, both hunting and being hunted by the shadow, we've had a series of forces that have really impacted our lives over the last month. Yeah. Um, we're here. Uh, I, Grace, um, narrowly evaded COVID. Madeline yeah. did not narrowly evade COVID. Nope. I got COVID <laughs> real full hard. Force, like yeah. a wave crashing into look far. I'm going to use only <laughs> earthsea metaphors. Just keep putting the, <laughs> the surf sounds back in. Every time I talk about COVID, I'm only going to talk about Ged now. Okay, um, that's fine. For the rest of the pandemic. That'll make it better, honestly. And I'm not explaining it to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and before the COVID, there was a really intense uh, snowfall in yeah. our neck of the woods. And uh, it only lasted for like a week. But f- during that week, the roads were like the back roads were impassable. Like they just turned into packed down sheets of ice. Yeah. Any Anyone who has spent time in Seattle in the winter before will know that the city just full on gives up when yeah. there is snow afoot. It, it never takes that long for the snow to go away because it, it rarely stays in the freezing temperatures. Um, so yeah, the city, it just takes a tack of waiting it out. (laughs) So because of these aforementioned COVID reasons, this is our first episode that we're recording remotely because we can't breathe the same air right now, but we wanted to finally get this produced because we've been so excited to talk about this book. Um, So things probably sound a little different this episode. Um, Get used to it because in five months I'm going to be leaving this state for a year. So all our episodes are going to be remote, but it makes us honestly (laughs) even more excited to have this podcasting project together because it'll be an ongoing time where we get to read books and hang out, even if I'm in Pennsylvania. (laughs) Getting into it, this book and all the books in the Earthsea series have been requested by so many different listeners, and your enthusiasm for the episodes that we have produced on our unorthodox journey through the Earthsea books. In a very funny order. Yeah, it's been so appreciated, though, and I am so glad that our, you know, goofy little discussions of these really valuable, brilliant works um, have resonated with some folks. I I feel like I'm always just kind of in the shadow of greatness when we talk about an Ursula Le Guin book and I get kind of intimidated. And most of the books we cover on the pod are lesser known and there has been a lot less criticism written about them and less analysis performed on them. Um, Whereas Earthsea, A Wizard of Earthsea is commonly taught in... High school classrooms. Yeah, I first read it um, in freshman English. Yeah, which is how Madeline actually first read it. Um, so there is much, much more discussion out there, but we're going to hold true to our mission and look at it through the Dragon Babies lens. And I'm excited to do so. So this book was published in 1968. It is the first in the Earth series. We do have episodes on most of the other books in the series. Um, We started with The Tombs of Atuan because that was my favorite when I was young. Um, But it's been really cool to essentially work forward and then backwards and now get this kind of beautiful conclusion to the series in the way that it's written in the first book, which it actually really is. There's a lot of foreshadowing and there are a lot of pieces that I appreciated more having recently reread. I think I would say, especially the farthest shore, um, but then also to Hanu. Um, There's Mm -hmm. just so many echoes of those books in this one. 
So before we get started, we will describe how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. I searched high and far for a copy of just anything that had the art from the first edition, which I think is so beautiful. And Ursula Le Guin um, talked in the afterward about how there were so many publishers that refused to put a person of color on the cover, even though Ged is not white. And that's very clear from the start of the book that most of the characters aren't white. Um, Only people, only the Kargish people are Mm -hmm. light-skinned, and they don't make much of an appearance in this book other than being the, uh, quote-unquote, savages who attack Ged's village. Yeah, Um, like Viking types. Yeah, exactly. Um, And yeah, I'll put a picture of that cover on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com as well. But the contemporary edition is done up in much more typical... 2022 YA fantasy vibe. Um, it looks a lot like a Harry Potter book. Yeah. <laughs> the gold of the Earthsea wizard is very prominent. It's a wizard very big, yeah. of Earthsea. Yeah. <laughs> it's smaller on the second and there's line. There's this like giant, looks giant hawk mm-hmm. or yeah. sparrow hawk, I guess. Yeah, with a deep purple background. Yeah. And gloomy clouds. Um, not my favorite. I don't yeah. think it's super evocative of the beauty, majesty, and scope of this book. No. Uh, yeah. So, let's, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about it? The hawk has a cute little face. <laughs> so, moving on from that disappointing cover, let's get into this glorious book. Um, we did read this slowly. <laughs> we wanted to take it in, and also we kept having to push back recording. Yeah, so to combat that, reasons. I actually wrote a summary for us to go off of. Um, so let us know if you like this style as opposed to the more um, slapdash summaries that we sometimes do. <laughs> yeah, I think pros and cons to both. Let's try it. Okay, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover, so if you haven't read this one before or haven't visited it in a while, definitely go check it out. It also has an excellent audiobook that I really enjoyed the yeah. segments I listened to of great narration. Yeah, it's really good. Properly, uh, proper gravitas. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we open on Dooney, a.k.a. Sparrowhawk, a.k.a. Ged, our protagonist. He is born in Ten Alders, a town in Gaunt, to a bronzesmith and a mama who dies. He discovers that he can mimic his aunt's goat words and have power over goats. She power is a witch. Power over goats. <laughs> Do with that what you will. Um, She is a witch, and she starts teaching him some spells, but her magic and her knowledge about it are pretty limited. Um, But she still sort of gases Ged up, and he starts yearning for power, riches, and fame through majory. Majory. The Kargs, who we mentioned earlier, have been raiding other lands in the archipelago where Ged lives, and they come north to Gaunt. So at that point, Ged uses a fog-weaving spell to shape the morning fog, which hides the villagers and allows them to sort of scare away and then also defeat the Kargs by um, confusing them into running off cliffs and things like that. Majory. Majory. <laughs> the story of Ged's spell spreads, and the mage of Ray Albi, Ogion, comes to heal Sparrowhawk slash Ged. I'm going to be switching between names. Ged is easier to say, but it's his true name. But that's how the narrator describes him most of the time. Always, yeah. So. Yeah. So Ogion comes to heal him um, because Ged overspent his magic and he's been in a coma since he set off the fog spell. Not the first or last <laughs> coma. Yeah, his magic really blows up in his face. Um, and Ogion gives him his true name, Ged, and takes him to learn to be a wizard when he turns 13. 
So the two of them set off on foot for Ray Albi, which is where Ogion is from. Their journey is much more tedious, quiet, and full of walking than Ged expects. And Ogion keeps pressing on him that he needs to wait and be silent and listen and have patience. And more importantly, learn every single herb that they walk past. <laughs> Ged is just like, why won't you use magic to keep us dry? It's rainy out here. And Ogion just keeps refusing, insisting that magic is not to be taken lightly. Yeah, Jed has a hard time understanding the assignment at first. He does. Um, they get to Ogion's house, and then Ged spends the winter learning the 600 runes of Hardik, which are related to the true speech, which gives all beings their secret names and their selfhood. Like, that's what gives each of them their soul. Yeah. <laughs> Said with a question mark. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> It's like a little that. confusing at first, but we'll, yeah. we'll get into it some more. Um, so Geddes gathering herbs one day, and he meets a cutie who is the daughter of the local lord. Um, she convinces him to show off and summon a falcon and then tries to get him to shapeshift and asks him really casually about calling the spirits of the dead. <laughs> Ged looks in Ogion's books and sees a spell for how you can summon the dead, and then he has a really frightening moment and feels paralyzed and thinks he sees a dark presence come into the room with him. Ogion bursts in and dispels the darkness and tells Ged that he's been tricked by the girl's enchantress mother to put himself in some kind of danger. And he tells him that every word, every act of our art is said and done either for good or for evil. Before you speak or do, you must know the price that is to pay. So this is all related to the weight of magic and why Ged has to be so thoughtful and careful about using it. It's good advice. It is. <laughs> so Ogion tells him it's time for him to decide whether he wants to stay there and keep learning in the way that Ogion has been teaching him or go to Roke to enter the official mage school. And Ged still has these stirrings in his breast, these wishes for glory. Mm -hmm. So he decides to head to Roke. When he gets there, he tries to enter the mage school and he's told by the doorkeeper that he can only enter if he can. And every step he takes puts him back outside. He physically can't enter the door. Um, so it's he a, has it's to a ask, puzzle. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a puzzle. <laughs> but, but the answer is just that he has to ask the doorkeeper for help <laughs> getting through it, which is very funny. It's very funny, yeah. It's a low, and, uh, low reward quest. Yeah, exactly. What he actually has to do, his password is his true name. Um, so he goes inside, he meets the archmage, this old but very powerful man, a jerk named Jasper, and a nice guy named Fetch. And Jasper starts from the beginning, from their introduction, goading Ged in various ways, mocking him. Um, because he's, he's from instantly a town. He self-identifies yeah. himself as the villain. <laughs> yeah. And he really plants the seeds of envy and dislike in young Ged. Yeah. So Ged starts wizard school. He studies with different masters of rogue. He learns the old songs, wind and weather arts, um, mainly raising the mage wind for sailing, which is super important because they live on the archipelago. Herbal properties, sleight of hand, and the arts of changing and illusion. Ged is very talented and a fast learner, and he asks about making a change like a pebble to a diamond permanent, and he's told by one of the masters that you must know a thing's true name to actually change its being, and to change that small thing is to change the world, which you shouldn't do unless you know what's going to follow, because this impacts the world's capital E equilibrium. The balance. The balance. <laughs> Ged continues to see Jasper as his rival, and he's developing a bit of an ego, seeing himself as better than all the other students. He spends a terrible-sounding year in the Isolate Tower to learn the true names of things. <laughs> then on his, <laughs> his journey back to school, a little creature called an Otak curls up with him and becomes his buddy. Yeah. 
Ged is now 15. He continues studying. His head gets even bigger because people are whispering about how he could one day be the Archmage. He gets extremely proud, and he doesn't socialize much. And Vetch and Jasper are now sorcerer level, so they study apart from him. Mm-hmm. Then the big day comes. At the school's festival for the moon's night and the long dance, all the students are performing cute little illusions to entertain each other. But Jasper taunts Ged and says he'll match his powers spell for spell. Then Jasper jokingly suggests that he summon a spirit from the dead. And Ged says, well, maybe I will. Yeah. <laughs> and he calls Elfaran, the lady from the deed of Enlad. But then in the process, he unleashes a shadow from the realm of the dead. And it's not a uh, lady. It's not. No, <laughs> she shows up for a second, but she has a very brief appearance. Yes. And the shadow attaches itself to his face and claws him and attacks him. And the only way it stops is that the archmage comes and saves him, killing himself in the process. Oh, so yeah. I forgot that he... He dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then Ged is in another coma for a month this time. And when he finally heals, the new archmage tells him he should stay on Roke until he's healthy and strong enough to defeat the nameless shadow that he summoned. Vetch comes back and returns his Otak, who he's been caring for during his illness, but then he leaves to go be a mage on Ifish, which is where he's originally from. And he tells Ged his true name. They exchange true names in a sign of friendship. Yeah. Ged now has changed really significantly. Um, He's not as fast a learner. He is always afraid of what he might do with his power and of the consequences. And he's no longer arrogant or proud or desiring riches and glory. Um, He's now pretty... It just kicked it right out of him. He's like totally changed and now he's like very emo. Yeah, (laughs) he really is. All he does now is hang out in libraries and research ways that he might defeat the shadow. Um, But he can't find any real answers. He sees something about dragons, and he's like, I don't know, maybe. He graduates (laughs) um, by asking the doorkeeper's true name, and he hears it. And then he goes to a village called Low Torning because they need a wizard there. So low turning needs pretty straightforward help, except for the dragons that might be chilling nearby. Yeah. So Ged fixes fishing boats and becomes friends with a fisherman named Petchferi. Pronunciation? Um, <laughs> Do you remember? He said Petchferi. Petchferi. Yeah. When Petchferi's son becomes ill, Ged ventures into the spirit world to try to save him. And when he is there, he sees the shadow who's sort of on the crux between the exit of the world of the dead back into the living. Um, Ged manages to make it back into his body in some capacity, but then his Otak fully wakes him and brings his spirit completely back. Now he knows that the shadow is waiting for him and he is super scared. So he spends some time hiding and putting a bunch of protections on his house. But then he's like, I'm just putting this village in danger and all the people here, I'm going to draw the shadow here. So I'm going to go get rid of all the dragons (laughs) so that I can leave (laughs) so that I can like, you know, put that check mark on my task and then I can go away and do whatever I'm going to do next. Yeah, because then the villagers won't need protecting anymore. (laughs) It's the most straightforward and logical reason for killing, you know, setting out to kill nine dragons (laughs) that I think I've ever seen in literature. very passionless yeah just like okay i gotta do this so i can keep moseying on yeah this is all this is in my project management system next so let's go take care of it so he does succeed in killing five of the younger dragons um, by binding their wings and drowning them and then turning into a dragon and fighting the others yeah it's pretty impressive But then the dragon of Pendor, who is the elder dragon, asks him to stop and offers to tell him the name of the shadow in return so that he can actually defeat it. 
but Ged can't bring himself to agree because it wouldn't fulfill his task of actually getting rid of the dragon. So instead, he very luckily guesses the true name of that dragon based on all that research he did. <laughs> yeah. Research. <laughs> Yay. Time in the isolate tower. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> in return for it never flying east and harming the locals. So at this point, Ged is taking flight. He's roaming around the archipelago in various boats. He tries to go to Roke, but its spells of protection blow the sea winds against him because he's connected to the shadow, so he can't get there. But this also shows him that the shadow must be close. Um, So he feels really doomed and extremely depressed. (laughs) A foreboding and mysterious stranger tells him to go to Oskol, to the court of the Terranon. There's a fever dream there for him. (laughs) (laughs) There is a super Green Knight-esque situation. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Um, So he finds a boat headed that way and works as an oarman to gain his passage. There's a creepy man named Skjora. (laughs) I don't know how to pronounce it. Skjora. Also working on the boat. I think and it's Skewer. Skewer. Yeah. And his face doesn't quite seem to be his actual face. So Ged does his best to avoid him. Um, but they end up getting off the boat together in Oskol and then walking the same way. And after hours of travel into the night, it becomes clear that Skewer is the shadow. Yeah. Um, it's actually a Gebeth, which is a spirit using a sort of wasted false human's body um, to travel around. But the body isn't real, only the spirit is real. So the Gebeth calls him Ged. It knows his true name. And in doing that, takes away his wizard's power. Um, So Ged is trying to fight it, but it becomes clear that it's not going to be successful. So he turns and flees and runs and runs and runs. And at the last second before he's about to just pass out, he manages to burst through a door that he finds in the wilderness. Magic door. Magic door. When he wakes, he finds himself in the court of the Terranon (laughs) with the Lady of O. Serret, whom he actually met as a guest at his school years ago when he was younger. He is ashamed of what happened with the shadow, and he's very, very cold. And so he just kind of hides out in the fortress and starts talking to Serret pretty regularly. And she tells him about a special jewel in their treasury and takes him to see it. This jewel is bad. (laughs) It houses an old and terrible spirit. And it's not so much a jewel, more of like a really creepy paving stone that the world was partially built from. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so cursed. It's so ancient and cursed. Yeah, it's really not good. Um, And Serret has clearly been swayed by the voices in the stone, and she tries to convince Ged to use it. Um, This was all a super long con. She's actually the girl he knew as a child who got him to look up spells about summoning the dead, too. Um, But at the same time, she's also kind of trapped there by the Lord and the servants of the stone. Yeah. Um, So... She and Ged manage to escape from all of them, and he finds his dead Otak outside. Terrible. Yeah, who died in the initial fight with the shadow. Yeah. Um, Then the botched beasts, which are the servants of the stone, attack and chase them, and Ged becomes a hawk and kills them all. It's really his go-to move when he has um, a group of enemies when he's fighting. Transform! So then Gedhawk flies back to Ray Albi and to Ogion, kind of unthinkingly, just like driven by instinct. Ogion then turns him back into a man because Ged got stuck in hawk brain. And Ogion learns about all his troubles and he tells Ged, you know, all things have a name. So the shadow must have one too. So there has to be a way that you can defeat it. And Ogion also convinces him that it's time to stop running and turn around and face the shadow. And then Ged realizes that Ogion's a much more powerful and great wizard 
than he did as a kid. And Ogan yeah. says, better now than never. Which is <laughs> very funny to me. How you respect me. I love seeing the beginnings of their relationship, having most recently spent time with Ogyan in Tahanu yeah. when Ged is, like, easing his dying. Yeah. <sighs> They're nice together. Yeah. Okay, so... Ged decides to hunt instead of being hunted, and he makes a spell boat out of a leaky old craft and heads out into the sea and calls to the shadow. It comes to him initially, but then turns and flees when it realizes that he is intent on meeting it. Yeah. So Ged follows and crashes his boat and ends up on a sandy little reef just in the middle of nowhere. He meets a very confusing, stranded old man and old woman who oh, he yeah. eventually real Yeah, I forgot about them too, but they're yeah. very disturbing. Yeah, they are. Um, who he eventually realizes have spent most of their lives on just this little spit of sand that is, isn't even really an island. Yeah. Um, he realizes that during the fight with the shadow, he went so far that he ended up in the Cargad, Cargad lands. They're fascinated by him because they haven't seen another human since they were children. Like small um, children. Yeah, really little. And they're also kind of mentally stuck there yeah. um, because of the hardships that they've been through. Well, and they never had, like, they just raised each other. Yeah, their brother and sister. Yeah. Um, and Ged realizes after the woman shows him a beautiful yellow child's silk dress that has the king's seal on it, um, that they're likely children of a royal house who were sent away when they were very young, a banishment, you know, by like a tyrant who was trying to gain power and wanted to get them out of the way, mm -hmm. um, something along those lines. And very importantly to the events of the tomb of Atuan, the woman gives him half of a broken ring, which, oh, spoiler yeah. alert, is half of the ring of Aerith Akbi, yeah. which Tanar has the other half of in right. the tombs. Um, <laughs> so ten years later, that's going to be super, super important. That's good that quest items cannot be removed from your inventory, because that's a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know, and Ged goes through a lot <laughs> from yeah. that point on, too. Yeah. So once Ged is stronger, he leaves the little spit, but the man and woman are too terrified to leave their yeah. little isolation. So Ged keeps traveling. He ends up at a series of sea cliffs and he faces the shadow again. And this time he manages to somehow grab hold of it. He's, it still feels like shadow, but they're connected and locked together for a moment. And then the shadow flees again. And now Ged knows they're truly connected and he cannot rest until he takes care of it. It's coming for him. Coming. So then Ged gets Look Far, his boat that continues to travel with him in later books and has beautiful little painted eyes on its b bow. <laughs> bow. I don't know boat, boat words. That's the boat. <laughs> I, I wanted to say prow, which is also the front of a boat, right? Yeah. I don't know. Bow. I'm not a boat person. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> I only know about boats from video games, and that is not very much. So Ged, I love learning how Ged gets Look Far, which is by healing a blind man, and that's why Look Far has his little eyes to see ahead. Yeah. Um, and he sails to Ifish, which is where Vetch is from, and along the way he hears very creepy stories about people seeing a man who looks like him, who was there just a few days before him. It's no so good. He's clearly on the right track, though. Very foreboding. Very foreboding. Um, he finds Vetch, and then Vetch vows to accompany him on this last leg of his journey and help him defeat the shadow. Yeah. He and Vetch sail into the ocean. They sail past the, the last known piece of civilization, the last piece of land on their maps. Yeah, they sail and off the map. And they sail for days to the point that Vetch is feeling terrified that there will be no way for them to return. And they're both trading stories about, well, what do you think happens when you reach the end of the map? Yeah. But what does happen is they are traveling along this fierce, bespelled wind, moving very, very fast. 
Ged is transfixed. He can see the shadow in his mind's eye, even if Fetch can't necessarily see anything in the open sea. And the water suddenly turns to sand and the ocean becomes a great beach. Ged gets out of the water, gets out of the boat and walks onto the sand and faces the shadow one final time. And he calls the shadow by its true name, which is his name. It's Ged, because the shadow is a piece of him. The shadow is his darkest part. And when he does that, he finally tames the shadow. The sand turns back to water, and Vetch almost drowns trying to get him. It's a real Frodo Sam moment. But (laughs) they get back in the boat, and it then takes them 16 days to sail back to land because they had traveled so far out, and now they don't have that same mysteriously spelled wind helping them. Um, But they head home. And they begin the rest of their lives. Ged is basically learning who he is, coming to know himself. Um, But he's doing that by exploring the darkest part of himself. And then the book just immediately ends. And of course, we have other stories ahead. Um, But the, the tiny epilogue is just about how the deed of Ged doesn't even talk about this part of his life. It's all about his larger deeds later so Mm -hmm. this feels like a very intimate private look at how he came to be yeah yeah a really intense story yeah okay so thanks for listening (laughs) summary completed madeline would you like to start off our old and new impressions yes so When I read this book in high school, I didn't like it, but I didn't like much when I was in high school. It was just like a tough time for me. (laughs) Um, And the reason I read it is because there was like four options that we could read um, coming in for our freshman year, and it was the only fantasy option. Um, So that's why I read it. Okay, so you picked it. Well, out of like four. Yeah. And the other ones, I don't even remember if they weren't books that I wanted to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the group that was to discuss it was really small because every no one else chose it. Like only three people chose it mm. because they sucked. In your, whole, <laughs> in your whole incoming, or no, this is just in your English class, not your whole incoming freshman class. Yeah, no, it was just for okay. my English okay. class. Yeah. But anyway, so I I just didn't have a good time reading it. I thought it was boring, and I didn't understand why the action never started. Because it's it's not really written in a in a jump cut type of style. It's much more of an epic. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I can actually appreciate that, and uh, I found it to be like a poem like it's really it's it's a tale and it's really really lovely uh to experience it even though it's so like it's such a dark and scary and gloomy story there's still so much beauty in it yeah Um, there really is and yeah and then by the end it's just like and he defeated it and now he knows himself the end and yeah and like he bent over and wept like a child yeah (laughs) book over (laughs) which and I can enjoy it a lot more as a story of getting through your, like, personal demons and troubles yeah. in order to, like, know yourself and go on to do the good things that you are able to do now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious, when you discussed it, were there any pieces of it that did stand out to you or was it kind of just like, I'm trying to get through this assignment? Yeah. 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 (laughs) I was just trying to, and get through one of like my first days of high school. Yeah, totally. There was a lot of dread that was ruling me at that time, much like Jed in the shadow. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Only my defeating it took like 
15 years. I mean, Getz took a long time, too, and he had to do it all, you know, by the age of 19, so it was even more complicated. Yeah, it it was very striking to me when he meets Vetch's brother and says that they're the same age, they're both 19, but his brother has lived his whole life in this little fishing town and, like, has not a care in the world and is super happy and chill. man, and Jed is, like, this just withered, uh, grizzled, like, super gloomy shadow hanging over his head. 19-year-old. Yeah, it's... I definitely read this book when I was way too young to really appreciate it. And I think the marketing of the Earthsea books is so often confused. And the I highly recommend the amazing afterword of the book. I'm going to see if there's a version of it available online somewhere that we can link to. Mm. Um, because Ursula talks about deciding to write the book. Um she was approached by a publisher who wanted to create fantasy books for young people, for young adults, and she hadn't intentionally written for any age group prior. Mm-hmm. Um, she and wrote. she, right, and she wasn't sure that she wanted to do it, um, but liked the idea of tackling some stri- more straightforward fantasy compared to what she had written up to that point, which was more of a sci-fi edge right. um, with some fantasy elements. Yeah, um, yeah. And she wanted to accomplish a few subversive things, um, which she kept relatively subtle at least some of them. Um, but now when you read the, these books as an adult, you really those really stand out to you and yeah. they become so much richer. Um, one is, so she says in her afterwards, she did far, follow a pretty straightforward hero's journey. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the hero isn't white. Um, and that was something that was really important to her. Um, and most of the people in the book aren't white. Then... His heroism isn't achieved through violence and war. Yeah. Um, she said she's super uninterested in uh, fantasy wars and battles because they reduce everything to this very clear binary of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And she's much more interested in exploring the nuances within each character. And she also says might makes right and who is really good, who is really evil in these books, you know, the reader is told, like, the side that you're um, rooting for, the side that you've been reading about is the good one, Um, and the bad side is so often, like, people of color and groups that you don't really know that much about but Mm -hmm. are maybe being subjugated by the ones that you think are the right ones. Um, So instead, Earthsea doesn't have wars, and it has these larger and more real-feeling struggles between um, just, like, the forces of entropy and the forces of creation, Mm -hmm. um, which are sometimes more tangible, sometimes less. The scope of conflict in this book is really a very personal one. Um, compared to, I would yeah. say, most of the other books in the Earthsea series. Yeah, this um, one's more about internal conflict. Yeah, exactly. But there, but there is the risk of the shadow, you know, harming others of this piece that Ged created. Totally. Um, yeah, being left to its own devices. But, but it is also him. Like it is the side of himself that could have become a terrible wizard, yeah. as opposed to one who is going to be careful and respectful. Like he had all of the resources from the start because he was so talented. But he also had all this pride and arrogance and greed yeah um he had to find a way to support the equilibrium with his power right and it's just (laughs) it's just like you said so beautiful and I just didn't fully appreciate it when I was younger I thought and the reason why we started with the Tombs of Atuan when we were rereading the books is just because I found A Wizard of Earthsea kind of boring when I yeah. was younger. Um, 
And the tombs of Atuan, like that book is very dark, darker than this one, but, but it has more concrete plot elements. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, um, for my, like, I think I was only like 11 or 12 when I first read at least the first two books. Okay. Um, so tombs of Atuan was more compelling to me. Um, but, but now revisiting this is just such a gift and I had forgotten so much about it. Um, and, Ged and his journey really resonate with me um, and the way that time and time again he's forced to look inwards and that the final way that he defeats the shadow is with his own name yeah. is just really poetic. Yeah. It's kind of perfect. It's great stuff. It's very good stuff. <laughs> very good stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think it's interesting too because Ursula has talked about how she had not intended to make the Earthsea books from a feminist perspective, and she doesn't feel that any of them are feminist books until Tahanu, um, which we talked about in our Tahanu episode. Um, very emotional listen, if you want to go check that out. <laughs> um and I was thinking about that while visiting this and I feel like you can read it in a few different ways. Um, I see the groundwork being laid for women to have more of their story as the books yeah. go on. Yeah. Um, and there are things that really stick in your craw, like the phrase, wicked is woman's magic, weak is woman's magic. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's a local witch who, you know, notices Ged's abilities and, like, helps get him interested in knowledge. But then at the same time, it could be argued that she's the one who put these ideas of fame and fortune through majory in his head. But the women of the archipelago really don't have a lot of options when it comes to their life paths. And um, what they can actually do if they have magic. Yeah, and the only women in this book, so Ged's mom dies right away. Um, there's the witch who starts teaching him. There's Sarit, who is, um, you know, a uh, femme fatale. Yeah, um, yeah. And is trying to turn Ged over to the dark side. To use um, him for her own purposes. And then there is Betch's sister, who Ged really likes and, like, serves as some kind of um, reminder to him that there are, like, forces of good in yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, but then she, but then that makes it feel a little bit like she's a bit of a, you know, cute lady on a pedestal, um, as opposed to a real she's character. She's so innocent. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there, there really aren't female characters for the most part in this book. Yeah. Um, and that was interesting to see when the tombs of Atuan comes next and is so fascinatingly internal and about Tanara's experience and her realizing that she has been enslaved yeah. as opposed to being, you know, the high priestess as she's been told. Yeah. Um, and then Tahanu, of course, Talking about magic systems a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. I like the magic system in these books a lot. Super cool. Ursula based it in Taoism, the balance, the equilibrium, um, every force needing an opposite force for it to exist. I really like Ged's you know, initial explanation of death before he stops himself and is like, I shouldn't talk about this um, yeah. because the closer I get to death, the more shadows I unleash. <laughs> the shadow is coming. Don't, don't go there. Um, saying for there to be a word, for there to be the true name, for there to be that life, there also has to be silence. Yeah. Um, and thinking of death as the silence and the way that death is explored throughout the Earthsea books is super interesting. Um, the Farthest Shore, another bleak book. <laughs> yes. they're, these, these books are not, um, they're not light in tone, but God, they're gorgeous. Yeah, they're lovely um, books. 
and and maybe only at this age can they really can I really like appreciate that bleakness and darkness yeah um the farthest shore which is all about Ged like deciding that he would give up his power in order to save the world yeah (laughs) Uh, they do travel into death, um, and it is endless hills, endless nothing, yeah. silence, grayness. Um, but there's never any discussion of like, oh, is there a way to like find something better after you die, or like, you know, reframe that, like come up with some kind of heaven, some sort of like right alternative to comfort the people, which I feel like we as humans in our reality are so obsessed with doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead, there's this total like embrace of an acceptance of that eventuality because it is the flip side because you couldn't have the life and the word without the silence, without yeah. the end. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I always do find outlooks that are just embracing and accepting and then being like, okay, death is is a necessary eventuality, but we don't have to worry about it right now. And when death comes, we won't have to worry about it anymore because we'll be dead. So that's like... You know, that's just part of the whole deal. And uh, that always makes things easier for, like, I find it very comforting in fantasy universes when there is that kind of perspective. I agree. Um, Yeah, if if I'm having a death panic, if you want to hear more about death panic, listen to our graveyard book episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Last episode. Yeah. yeah, remembering that death is the absence of fear, the absence of anything, yeah. is actually really comforting. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> so we can just strive to experience that absence of fear a little sooner while we are alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I think these books are really good medicine for that. Like this I whole agree. series that we've done, impressively so. I completely agree. Um And piggybacking off that, the magic related to the power of a name, like the essence of being, it just makes the majory, I just love saying the word majory now, um, in Earthsea, makes sense in a way that a lot of magic systems don't in fantasy books. Um, It's written so brilliantly because it's getting at the fabric of being rather than um, pretending like, oh, it's okay, we can just, like, make a thing into something else. Don't think of your blue blob. Don't think about magic it too magic. close. <laughs> and it's, it's framed in ways that, like, I feel like I could understand mm-hmm. from a just a magic, like a real-world magic perspective. It just makes a lot of sense. It mm-hmm. feels, like you said, she... Uh, based it off of like a really really old uh, and rich religious tradition Mm -hmm. and you can really see that yeah and I think it's very fitting with that that even though this technically is a book about someone going to you know magical school um, we don't get any straightforward descriptions of how the system works really until nearly the end of the book when Ged is talking to Vetch's brother and sister. Um, that's when yeah. <laughs> there's a really great uh, metaphor about meat pies and about Vetch's brother asking Ged, I should save this for pretend food because there's almost no good pretend food in the <laughs> book, but I'm just going to say it now. Um, when Vetch's brother says, well, why, when you're out on the sea and you're hungry, why don't you just say, meat pie, B, and then you have a delicious meat pie to eat. <laughs> and Ged says, meat pie is only a word, after all. We can make it odorous and savorous and even filling, 
but it remains a word. It fools the stomach and gives no strength to the hungry man. And then they ask him, well, we've seen Vetch create a light when he's out in the dark and he needs a light. And that's a light. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. just a word. Like, the force is there. And Ged starts to talk a little bit more about the greater forces and how light and darkness are, you know, essentially the, the greatest forces in existence and how they're connected to the word. And then they ask about death and then he's like, and okay, like, I'm too much. I'm not I'm not good at explaining things also. I don't want to talk about this. You have to figure this out yourself. Yeah, but I mean, other than some, there are a few passages like the one I mentioned in the summary when he asks about turning a pebble into a permanent diamond, um, where he gets a little more information about equilibrium and things like that. Um, But it's also followed with that master saying, like, things would be a lot more complicated if all of our pebbles were diamonds. So just enjoy the pebbles. (laughs) I appreciated that too. (laughs) Um, But I thought that that was very appropriate and fitting you know, putting the narrative to match the magic system itself. Like we're not getting all this upfront, like this is how the balance works. Instead it's told through a series of experiences. um, And it isn't until Ged knows it and knows himself that he can really talk about it to others. So yeah, I also really liked that. (laughs) Let's talk about animals, just like animals in this book. So Ged finds his little Otak, who he names its true name, um, which is Hogue. Hogue. (laughs) Um, And is described as... These creatures are found only on four southern isles of the archipelago. They are small and sleek, with broad faces and fur dark brown or brindle, and great bright eyes. Their teeth are cruel and their temper fierce, so they are not made pets of. They have no call or cry or any voice. (laughs) But this one becomes Ged's buddy. So Um, it's it's like a little flat-faced weasel type of deal? That's how I pictured it. The broad face is confusing because I want to think of it as having a pointy face. Well, Um, it could be broad and pointed. Like It could come to a point, but it's, you know... Yeah, kind of like a, um, I'm thinking of a wombat for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. What what do otaks look like? Please tell us. I'm sure tell there's some otaks. I'm sure there's otak fan art out there, and I will look for it yeah. and put it on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Um, so Hogue is really sweet. He does... He brings Ged back from his, um, from one of his many comas, um, by licking his face. And Ged has this moment where he says something like, it was just that dumb animal instinct that like brought life back into me. And that helps give him more perspective too, about like, maybe he shouldn't go around thinking of himself as so amazing and he can do so much because he couldn't bring Petchvari's son back, Yeah, but his Otak brought him back yeah and that was beautiful yeah the the otak yeah i i hate that the otak dies but it's like it's just part of the the journey and the otak was like sked's buddy it had him yeah yeah i know it makes sense that he dies too because i mean ged can't black out as much as he does and take care of an animal, especially when there are great point. evil forces chasing him. He does, he's does not that present in the physical world. No, he's really not. Um, we also learn about Hareki, which are dragon babies. Yes. Yay. Yeah. And, and nice, cute little dragons. Like, they hang out. They're so cute. When Ged first meets Fetch's sister, Ged says, In Gaunt, they say Gauntish women are brave, but I never saw a maiden there wear a dragon for a bracelet, which is as close as Ged can get to flirting. It's yeah. <laughs> the best he can do. That's true. Um, and she says, It's only a Hareki. A little one that lives, he asks if it's a dragon, and she says, a little one that lives in oak trees and eats wasps and worms and sparrows' eggs. It grows no greater than this. Um, and then she asks about the Otak because Vetch has told her about it, and he has to be like, no. Yeah, I can, no I can really use one of those little dragon guys. That sounds fantastic. 
Yeah, they sound incredible. Just like hanging out on your arm. What? There is also like a lot of talk about familiars for wizards in this Mm. book because the archmage who dies, his raven just like pieces out and flies away forever. Yeah. um, Who's been with him for decades. Yeah. And they talk about how, yeah, other wizards have had animals with them. um, And that's just what I want. And that's why I'm slowly filling my house with cats. Four (laughs) cats are currently in my house. One is about to, one is about to go home because she's a relative's cat. It's, it's a lot. It's but there, a lot. when we were there for Christmas, not only did a raccoon visit us, but also <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful white cat with a collar came up oh, to no. the porch. And a stranger came to the door and knocked and, and, and said, hey, I think your cat's trying to get inside. And we said, that is no man's cat. That is Paolo. <laughs> Leave him be. He is his own master. Right. Yes. <laughs> he is. Yeah, so we're getting there, you know. We're getting there. Soon yeah. I'll have a note talk and a hereki. And um, a raccoon. The, and a raccoon. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but there aren't raccoons mentioned in the unfortunately. Um, any other animals of note? Um, there are, you know, the servants of the stone who are horrible beasts. Uh, those freaked me out. Um, but you know, there's Ged himself who turns into a little hawk, sparrow hawk. And we already talked, the dragons are more magical creatures than Mm -hmm. animals. So, yeah. And this is only the first time that Ged gets stuck as a hawk because that happens a few other times in the other books. Um, he can't quit being yeah. a hawk for too long. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it's the only way to evade danger. It, it seems like it would to, be nice if we could turn into hawks. But. I know, right? And it happens to Numair in mm-hmm. uh, the Wild Magic series by Tamara Pierce. And it made me think about that, too. Shapeshifter woes. Okay, well, let's move on to pretend food. Pretend food. Um, Not much to discuss. It is a hungry book. It's a book of drinking salt water that's been spelled to not kill you. And yeah, tastes like fresh water. I kept it's, waiting for it to describe when they got back from defeating the shadow. That was just nope. like these two skeletons with skin stretched over them. Like, yeah. like holy cow, these dudes have not been eating. These young men. They speaking of Frodo and Sam, they also had a doling out the Lembus moment when yeah. they're like tearing their dried fish into smaller and smaller pieces, not discussing what it might mean. Um, yeah, it's really, it's like bread, it's water, it's dried fish. Um, at, there's the magic meat pie metaphor, which is the most food-laden scene because Yarrow is also making wheat cakes, dried mm. wheat cakes on the fire for them to take on their journey. Yeah. And her drag, her Hareki steals a wheat cake and then Ged steals a wheat cake and they make jokes about upsetting equilibrium. <laughs> it's very funny. stolen a wheat cake. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> Um, and then one of the sorcerers who is trying to get rid of Ged because when they're going around to different, when he's going around to different towns and they're like, we saw a guy that looks like you also, we don't want another mage. Like, right. Like we already have a mage. Scram. Um, they give him a brace of fresh roasted hens. I think that's the best food that's mentioned in the entire book. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's not a lot there which makes sense there are larger ideas that we're talking about and also we're getting into fights with shadows at sea we're getting shipwrecked we're living on a sandbar with a very sad old man and woman like there's not a lot of feasts going on let's uh eat so you don't die (laughs) yeah but i do feel like we need to cover a feast filled book soon maybe it's time for another red wall book finally (laughs) after our first cursed episode or tiny tiny feastings (laughs) yeah well is it time for badass lady meter I guess. (laughs) Why do you say I guess like that? Well, it's going to have to be a a gender non-conforming situation. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Oh, I did want to talk about 
Um, can we just reflect for a moment on the inherent evil of the name Jasper? Because I feel like there have been so many <laughs> bad Jaspers that we've read about. Jasper, Jasper is a knave's name, for sure. Okay, yeah, that yeah, a name's name. Jasper. It just sounds scurrilous. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. I'm quickly looking at all my episode notes to see... If there's other control specific... Control F Jasper. Control F Jasper, my entire computer. <laughs> no, because I, I swear there have been other Jaspers that we've covered, but maybe I'm... I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. But as soon as as soon as we get his name, I was just like, of course, Jasper. Jasper. <laughs> it, yeah, it just sounds kind of like a name for a not nice person. A Jasper. He's also such a good antagonist because he's, I don't know, the shadow, the shadow is technically the primary antagonist, but the shadow is dead sort of, and is yeah, like his essence. Dread. So it's, it's hard to say that. Yeah. Jasper is the only like tangible antagonist is perfect because he brings out all the worst parts of Ged without ever really being like that bad he's very rude to him yeah he's like, just super rude yeah That's what, like he's very terrible in that he just immediately starts being a jerk and it's like yeah. okay dude he just like he's just snob- snobby and belittles him but like yeah. it seems like the kind of person where yeah you talk to that guy at a party and then you're like okay i get you i will be avoiding you, you from suck. now on but instead that just feeds all of ged's worst impulses yeah. um so i really liked that that was something I thought about on this reread too that Jasper is never like violent against him or like he never really does anything no, and he other just than totally just goes goad away. him yeah right yeah and Ged sees his face in the shadow at the end but it's just him seeing like figures from his relatively short life like he yeah. sees his dad Jasper and Petchvari 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 because um, <laughs> <laughs> he's you know for all his trials he's only 19 and he doesn't know that many people. It's only been around 19 years. And, like, this land is very sparsely populated. Yeah, it's true. I wonder what Jasper's true name is. Maybe it's just Jasper. Maybe it's just Jerk. Jasper is Jasper. <laughs> okay, with that, let's get into Badass Lady Meter. My Badass Lady is Look Far. Oh, look far. <laughs> look, but yeah, and look far is not in this book that much, but we love look far. I give uh, look far the perfect strong wind to reach wherever she wants to go. Nice. Which nice. hopefully isn't 16 days away from the last island. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my baddest lady, I'm trying to pick. Um, I actually, I'm going to pick Vetch for my badass lady. Um, I really love all of Vetch's nurturing qualities. Vetch is like, Vetch is a very domestic wizard in a lot of ways. Like he wants to go back and take care of his home. Of his family. He lives with his siblings. Yeah. Um, I don't think we know what happened to his parents unless I'm... Not remembering I, I something. I can't remember. Um, but it's really sweet that his, yeah, his career, he's going to go back and be the mage of um, Ifish and, yeah, like raise slash live with his brother and sister. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated that. And he is such a supportive friend to Ged, um, even even in moments when he can tell that Ged is uh, being a little ridiculous. Um, yeah. And he, he calls him on it. And he tries he to help He does. Him. And he, he's a source of humor and good-naturedness throughout a book yeah. that is pretty sorely lacking in, yeah. in a lighter tone. Um, I liked his joke about how they're just going to fall off. He believes that they're just going to fall off the edge of the earth if mm-hmm. they keep sailing when Ged is being all gloomy and um, broody yeah Um, (laughs) and uh and and he was right that ged needed him to come with he was yeah Yeah. or else he would not have survived um good friend so i guess my rating for vetch is 
as many wheat cakes as he wants because yes. they're, I want to build a fire in, you know, a small house now and make some dried wheat cakes. And the thought, well, Sounds I guess great. the final moment, truly, we were saying the final moment was Ged crying, but the final moment is actually them walking back through um, Vetch's door and Yarrow runs to meet them crying with joy. Yeah. Like, just that warm embrace of home and family. Yeah. All in the shape of a cake. That's my it's rating true. for Fetch. It really rocks that. Wow. I guess that's it. I felt like I had so much to say. And we did say a lot. Um, but if, you know, if we come up with more thoughts, maybe we'll do it. We'll do an add-on, a mini-episode or something. Also, I've never seen the Ghibli Wizard of Earthsea movie, but Ursula did not like it. Um, but I'm curious about it. So I don't know. Maybe we'll check that out. We haven't done a mini episode in a long time. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who, like I said, has showed support for our past Earthsea episodes and also has listened all the way through this one. Um, sorry about the slight drop in quality with the remote recording. We'll keep working on it for next time. Um, I think we're doing great. I think we're doing great too. I do too. <laughs> you can find us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram, at Dragon Babies Podcast on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod and you can email us at Dragon Babies Podcast at gmail.com and if you like thank you Grace if you like uh, weird nature spooky meditative art check out my art Instagram it's pig and doodles the word pig the letter N the word doodles um, on Insta and check my stuff out give me a follow if, if you like it, no pressure. <laughs> We're all about a low-pressure environment here at Dragon Babies. <laughs> Our next book is going to be Wishing Moon by Michael O'Tunnell. This is one from Madeline's childhood that she's recently un- unearthed. Excited to check it out. Yeah, it was in one of the boxes that my mom gave us, full of old books and old treasures and my coin collection. (laughs) Okay, we don't need to talk about the coin collection. (laughs) So check back soon for that. We're going to try to get back on a regular schedule. We always say this, and then here we are a month later. We're we're past the holiday now. The And the COVID apocalypse. And the weather apocalypse. And just... It's been rough. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.